the Irish Times Inside Business Podcast, in association with EY, building a better working world. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Inside Business Podcast. I'm Cliff Taylor, standing in this week for Kieran Hancock. Well, the evenings are getting shorter, the kids are back at school and the budget is approaching. On today's show, I'm joined by Eddie Casey, Chief Economist at the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council, and Kevin McLaughlin, Head of Tax at EY Ireland, to discuss what might be in next month's budget package. We talked about the pre-budget submission of the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council, published on Wednesday, the impact of global corporate tax reform, and what else to expect in what everyone agrees will be a vital post-pandemic budget. But I began by asking Eddie Casey to explain why IFAC thinks that the government's budget plans, as outlined in the summer economic statement, are at the very limit of what is prudent. Uh, So I I guess when we think about uh, what the appropriate budget should be for the next year or for the coming years, we tend to think about a few things. We think about how high our current debt levels, uh, what is the underlying structural deficit that the uh, government might be running uh, and what's the appropriate uh, basis for uh, running fiscal policy given the state of the cycle we're in? So are we uh, in a position where the economy is very far behind where it would be in normal times like we are now with COVID? Or is it even overheating in a different situation where you'd want to pull back? Um, so at the moment, what we can see is that the government is planning a, a budget package of about $4.7 billion, which is uh, about a 5.5% increase. Yeah, uh, in overall measures, which is pretty fast um, by normal standards. Uh, so if you think of the economy's trend growth rate or its potential growth rate, we tend to think about that uh, as being around 3% in real terms. And then if you allow for inflation and price pressures, uh, it, it can take it up to 5% if, if things are running at 2% inflation. So it looks like it's slightly ahead of that. Um, so we kind of think that you know, it's kind of at the limit of what might be sustainable in normal times. And that's probably warranted. And and indeed, that's what the council is saying, that for this budget, with the economy still yet to fully recover post-COVID, we want to see it uh, stimulated to some degree. And, and this looks about right for budget 2022, where, where the problems kind of emerge then is really for the later years. So you look at the government growth forecast and you actually feel that they may be underplaying the, the prospects for growth in the next few years. But despite that, you think that there's there may be a need for 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 a tightening at some stage in terms of uh, higher taxes or, or or lower spending or something to get the debt moving down more quickly. Yeah, so so there's a few kind of factors here that we point to in terms of the government's forecasts on the macro side. So when we got the summary economic statement uh, included in that was a, a really major shift in policy towards running sustained deficits for a very long time out into the future. Uh, so we've already had two deficits that are going to be close to about 20 billion each year. Uh, but the government is actually planning on kind of running these types of deficits well into the future again. So 14 billion in 2022, 8 billion in 2023, and another 7.5 billion in, in the next two years after that. Um, so what we said was really that these types of expansionary measures would boost growth. Uh, whereas the, the forecasts that the government set out in the summer statement weren't really revised. So they, they pushed up GDP growth and it was all in the traded side, the, the multinational sector, but there was nothing on domestic demand. So things like consumer spending and uh, by households, government spending, uh, and the impact that would have on the economy in terms of current goods and services, and also investment. Uh, so all of these things would push up on domestic growth. And we expect that, yes, 
over the medium term, you'll see uh, much less scarring if the, if this actually takes hold, the, that it'll boost the economy over the medium term. And also just things have been working out better than uh, people have expected. So the recovery in the near term has has really shown that the, the Irish economy can bounce back quite quickly. And you can see that in, in some of the the, the very timely data we get from, say, things like the central banks, ATM and credit card data, where, where consumer spending has come back to levels similar to what we would have seen pre-pandemic. The Fiscal Council's pre-budget report was talking of a one in four chance that the national debt could move onto an unsustainable path over the coming years. That sounds a bit worrying. How did you come to that conclusion and what can we do to lessen that risk? Yeah, so so that's one of my my own kind of hobby horses, uh, which is a bit of modelling work we've been doing uh, for two years with the NTMA. Um, and what we we did was we took this approach that um, the kind of grandfather of economics uh, proposed uh, people should use now to assess debt sustainability, which is Olivia Blanchard said that what we should really start to think about in a world of very low interest rates is what the probability of being on an unsustainable debt path is. And, and this is kind of a difficult concept, but basically what you do is you look at the probability of different outcomes for things like growth, uh, the interest rates that are going to be charged in government debt day to day uh, when it borrows, uh, and other factors that influence your your debt path. So the government's debt path. So when we're at levels close to 100% uh, of national income, it, it, it leaves you in a more vulnerable position because the higher your debt ratio as a starting point, the more sensitive it is to these types of things changing. So if you have a sudden shortfall in growth or a recession, it, it can lead to that debt ratio starting to rise again quite quickly. And what we do is we, we kind of model all these probabilities uh, based on recent history and we try to assess, well, what could happen interest rates, even bearing in mind that a lot of these things are fixed. So the NTMA has issued very long-dated uh, bonds uh, with fixed interest costs. So they won't vary a lot. But when you when you run all these things through and when you do assume low interest rates well into the medium term, you still find that there's a very high probability of debt starting to not only uh, stay stable, but start to rise over the medium term. And that's basically what we mean by a one in four chance. So we can see that the, the probability of it not falling from high levels could be uh, 25% or even 30%. So so that's kind of worrying. Uh, we wouldn't, the council wouldn't portray it as, you know, an urgent uh, crisis or anything like that. But it's something that we're, we're clearly taking more risk on. So, you, you know, that kind of, this is a classic nerd reference, but, you know, when we're watching Star Trek and you hear them say the structural integrity is at 25% now or 75%, you can kind of think of it that way, that, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of taking a bit more risk and we're pushing things further. So maybe we're at warp speed now is where we're heading in the next few years, taking things a bit more quickly with budgetary expansions. And that might be maybe what the government wants to do. It wants to take that risk to deal with pressures in housing, deal with things in climate change. But we're not quite sure really how long these things are going to be sustained for. So the council is quite happy to see investment in areas that uh, there's clear shortfalls in. And we know there are big challenges there and people are really worried about these areas and it's going to require a lot of uh, spending. Um, so so maybe we are going to require taking those risks over the next few years. But then the council kind of big concern in this report is, is that we're trying to do all things at once. So as well as ramping up public investment to levels close to 6% of national income, which is very unusual by international standards, it's well above OECD norms, which would be above 4%. Um, and, and taking 
uh, current spending up 5% every year, nearly 5% every year into the medium term. So that's day-to-day spending and uh, services that the, the government has and welfare. Uh, we're also looking at tax cuts over the next few years. So two billion in tax cuts plans for, for the next four years. So so it, it's kind of that the government is firing on all cylinders, that it's trying to use all its levers at once and move into fifth gear and everything. And that, that entails these risks. So 25% probability of debt not falling and actually starting to rise again potentially is is, is not something to really treat as negligible although we wouldn't jump up and down about it just yet. We'd like to see more certainty, really, about what the plans are medium term. Kevin McLaughlin, we were talking there about the possibility of tax reductions in the budget. Is that something you would anticipate this year? Yeah, I, I think I suppose when you step back and, and look at this, um, Cliff, you know, the government probably in a way looks at this and sees that it has maybe a little bit more time um, to kind of address fundamentally what role tax is going to have to play in balancing the books here. You know, there's been obviously very strong, stronger than expected growth um, from an economic perspective. And then when you look at, say, the impact on tax revenues last year, they only dipped 3.6% in 2020, whereas I think the UK by comparison dipped 8%. Uh, and again, there's been strong recovery in kind of exchequer receipts as kind of was announced recently. So now, and interestingly, I think others have probably felt a bit more pressure to move early. So the UK, for example, has actually kind of moved in a route of, of increasing taxes. They announced some increases to kind of national insurance contributions, so our equivalent of PRSI. And, and earlier in the year, they, they signaled an increase in the corporation tax rate of six percentage points up to 25%. So I think it's very clear that growth is, is the piece really that's expected ultimately to bridge the gap. Austerity is, is definitely not on the cards, not being talked about. And I suppose then when you look at tax, how, what role is that going to play? Um, I, I think there's clearly an expectation that that buoyancy or that continued economic growth and high levels of economic growth, stimulating economic activity, getting more people back to work, all of that will 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 improve, if you like, the tax take from an income tax perspective, from a business taxes perspective, and ultimately, I think, from a spending and investment perspective. I think as far as this year is concerned, I don't think we'd expect any anything major. I, I, I think because it is the first, well, probably the second, I suppose. Uh, well, let's see, hopefully the first post-COVID budget, whereas last year we were probably in the thick of it. But um, So you'd expect actually that a fairly cautious view would be taken. And in fact, if you think about it, you know, there's two measures that have already been either announced or flagged. So carbon taxes, there's kind of a, 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 a trajectory there up to 2030, where it's very clear based on previous budgets that carbon taxes will increase. You know, I think that the signal increase is probably about seven, seven euro 50. Um, you know, this this year there's a question, I suppose, whether in alignment with the, 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 the government's kind of climate action plans, might that be accelerated perhaps? And then, you know, there was an announcement earlier in the summer around, uh, you know, local property tax, which again, I think is probably an important part of, of, of broadening the tax base, where again, you know, valuations had been frozen essentially since 2013. You know, that that has now essentially been kind of uh, fixed as a, as a November 21 valuation. Date, so that'll kind of bring valuations more up to date and kind of yeah, new houses that have been built in the last eight years are now in the net. So, so you already see two measures there that I think have the potential to actually significantly increase um, the tax take uh, over and beyond just simply kind of buoyancy in the economy. But I would have thought that on the incentivised siding or cut tax cuts this year, I, I think we, anything we would see there, we would expect to be pretty modest. Kevin, there's a lot of talk politically about employers' PRSI increasing over the next few years. 
fact, it's probably fair to say that uh, the money from increased uh, employers' PSI has been spent a few times over by the various political parties as they put forward ways to fund spending plans. Is there scope for increasing employers' PSI, given that it's lower here than in many other EU countries? It's probably part of a broader conversation, Cliff, around, you know, uh, payment ultimately for, for services and for government services. I think definitely kind of rates of employers, PRSI and other jurisdictions can be significantly higher, but the level of benefits associated with that would also be significantly higher. But it is interesting that the UK has chosen this as one of its routes um, in its, you know, they, they've already announced a, a one, one and a quarter percent increase in the employer contribution. Uh, obviously, we haven't heard anything concrete along those lines, but it's certainly a possibility. It's been a relatively static rate for some time now, I think modest increase in the last couple of years. Um, and certainly if, if there is a kind of a general call for everybody to, to, to pay their share, so to speak, you know, it is certainly one of the things that the government could look at. At EY, our purpose is to build a better working world. As one of Ireland's leading professional services firms, our exceptional people are at the centre of everything we do. We deploy technology at speed and innovation at scale to deliver exceptional solutions for our clients, enabling them to transform and grow. To find out more, visit ey.com. Eddie Casey, there's talk of increasing social benefits over the next few years in areas like sick pay or perhaps perhaps for people who are laid off uh, temporarily from work, as happened during the COVID pandemic. Is higher PRSI a logical way to pay for that? It's not something the council would have a strong view on. Uh, you know, our focus is mainly on uh, what the overall position is, the overall budgetary position, the sustainability of its debt, and what's appropriate for the, the point in the cycle. Um, there's different ways these things can be funded. Now, a natural link would be to do it that way. Uh but I guess one kind of encouraging thing we're starting to see with the government's planning now is that finally they do have a kind of clear plan for what the costs of these things might be over the medium term. Um, so whereas in the past uh, we would have assumed, uh, you know, generally the government has this tradition of one year ahead budget and Ireland has been very good at these where we know what next year's budget is going to look like very clearly and it's quite realistic. But beyond that, we don't really have a sense of how welfare uh, payments are going to rise in line with price pressures, with wages as for in the economy, pension payments uh, and things like this. Um, it looks like finally now the government has adopted an approach uh, which will allow it to do that, which is this new kind of spending rule that they're they're looking at. Um, so I, I think whether or not it's it's funded by general taxation or, or by new measures specifically linked to, to welfare uh, is something that the council wouldn't be really uh, too concerned by it's it's more about what the overall borrowing position is at the end of this and it looks like really there isn't a lot of funding i know there are new taxes coming like carbon tax and that but if we look at the net tax uh position that the government is planning it's for tax cuts of 500 million every year so so on balance it looks like the choice of choosing to raise bureaucy to to fund these things or, or other uh tax sets isn't isn't really being made to any great degree kevin we have a uh Commission on Tax uh, sitting at the moment, presumably that's the kind of decision that will fall to it to make. Uh, there's money to be raised, but we're not quite sure where it's going to come from yet. Yeah, I, I mean, it, this is uh, probably the third of, of, of these commissions that's kind of happened uh, in the last kind of 30, 30, 40 years or so. Um, uh, look, I think they come at 
good intervals, um, you know, especially now where, uh, again, there's kind of a fundamental need to probably look at how to, to kind of balance the books in the, the kind of medium to longer term. I, I think unquestionably for me, there's a number of things that are happening that, you know, again, will focus the mind, I think, of the Commission pretty clearly. One is, I suppose, a general sense of, you know, the need to keep the base broad. It's one of the learnings, I think, probably from the financial crisis was that the base was, was probably too narrow. Arguably, in the last few years, post the Troika, it's narrowed a little bit as well. But so you've got the kind of that philosophical debate. And then you've obviously also things that are happening internationally around tax policy again, which I think you know, are likely to, to at least change the shape of, of international corporate tax policy um, uh, over the years ahead. So I think the Commission has 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 a fair amount, I think, on its plate. But um, uh, but I think it's a good juncture, if you like. There's, there's a real imperative, I think, for the Commission to look critically at longer term in terms of building a sustainable, broad base of taxation. And obviously within that, there are some specifics that are happening internationally that again will be will need to be areas of, of clear focus. Will there be any good news do you think for, from the Commission or indeed from this budget for the uh, the much quoted middle middle income earner there, there is there is talk for example of of increasing the uh, the entry point to the higher the higher rate at, at least to kind of account for wage inflation. Do you think we might see action in that area? Yeah, I think one of the things that I think has been clear, Cliff, over the last number of years is I think that you know successive governments I think have always tried to, especially when there isn't necessarily a whole lot of money to be spent, um, actually to target any benefits more at the kind of lower to, to middle income earners. So, so again, I would expect if there is anything from a tax perspective uh, for taxpayers, it'll be targeted at 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 that. You know that group essentially, but again, I think given that the, the arithmetic here, invariably those would be relatively modest. Eddie, um, Kevin made a good point there in terms of having a broad tax base. Well, I know the, the council doesn't want to uh, or doesn't generally, you know, enter into the politics of this. There are important questions coming up there in the next few years, aren't there, about how to keep the tax base broad? Given that we've, I suppose, narrowed it down to some extent in in, in recent years by uh, excluding a lot of lower lower earners from the tax net. Yeah, and an interesting positive uh, that we saw during COVID was actually how progressive the Irish tax system was on the income tax side. That actually it sustained itself very well while lots of vulnerable sectors with low paid employees uh, lost their, their their employment. Um, the tax take in income tax was surprisingly resilient. And actually now is kind of above its pre-pandemic trend. So so it's, it's one area that's kind of real positive that, you know, Ireland has this kind of progressive system that seems to be able to withstand these types of shocks. Um, but, but there is a, a concentration then in the higher uh, at uh, tax higher income cohorts, um, and we see that uh, probably elsewhere uh, more concerningly, which is in corporation tax. Uh, so, if you take last year's figures, we would have had about twelve billion receipts uh, from corporation tax, and this is what we're anticipating to get more or less over the next few years as well. Um, but about fifty six percent of that was from just ten corporate groups. So it's incredibly concentrated in a handful of. Uh, multinationals that are based in Ireland. And and with that concentration just comes very big risks. So we don't know whether those firms will be profitable over the, the medium to long run. We don't know uh, whether or not idiosyncratic shocks might happen to those specific companies involved, and we might lose huge portions of the tax take uh, just because of that. Um, and we don't know what their plans are really with uh, uh, global tax reforms. So where we would have, you know, over the long run, had about thirteen and a half percent of our our corporate of our tax take 
the exchequer tax is coming from corporation tax. Now we've about 20%. So one in five euro really is, is a very heavy reliance on a, uh, on a tax set that is one, very concentrated, but two, very volatile and hard to predict. Uh, so so it, it does lead to these kind of risks about the, the narrowness of the tax base. Eddie, the government has penciled in two billion as the annual loss from the tax reform plans. Is that realistic? Is it too small? Is it too little? Are we are we at risk here of of a bigger hit? I mean, if you had asked us that question a couple of years ago, we were probably would have said that that seems about right. But what's happened in the the interim is that the tax hike has continued to grow, um, and its concentration is getting a little bit more concentrated again. So the risks are rising as there's more. Uh, developments on the international tax uh, reform agenda. And it's really hard to estimate. So we try to look at this a few ways. And one way that we think is fairly reasonable to get a sense of what the the risks are around your corporate corporation tax take each year uh, might be is to look at, well, if corporation tax had grown in line with the domestic economy. So we use these measures of domestic plus value added and strip out the multinationals and say, if you were just reliant on the sectors that aren't dominated by uh, the big tech companies, the big pharma companies, what would the tax take have been? And if we do that, then we get estimates that are anywhere from three and a half billion excess corporation tax receipts we're getting each year to up to like six billion. So, so potentially there's a really large sum there uh, of maybe a third to a half of the corporation tax base that can't be explained by developments in recent years outside of the domestic economy. So, or uh, I mean, unless you look at the, uh, those companies outside of the domestic economy. So, so clearly there's some kind of risk there around the reliance on, on multinationals to fund a lot of ongoing spending. And, and that's you know everything from health to, to schools, to teachers, uh, to um, nurses and, and the like. Kevin, this is one of your areas of, of, of expertise. What's your view on our uh, vulnerability now on corporate tax as these crucial talks that the OECD seem to be seem to be reaching a reaching a, a conclusion? Yeah, I think there's 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 a couple of things um from Aitliff. One is there's there's still a lot to play in that debate. Um I mean, you know, obviously Ireland has kind of made its position relatively clear, is is probably seen somewhat as as an outlier, but I, I think probably for good reason. I think there's still a lot of uncertainty as to the shape of these proposals. There's certainly a potential impact on, on our tax sovereignty, because I think what's proposed at the moment, particularly as far as the minimum rate is concerned, is at least fifteen percent, which which obviously leaves very much open the possibility that that rate would increase and to what extent does Ireland have the ability to influence that. Um, I think Ireland is very strong on, on, on the, the, the in defending its position, I suppose, on, on the sense that actually fair tax competition is actually a healthy is actually a healthy thing. Um, uh, so, so I think there's still a, a fair amount to play out there in terms of the debate. There's also kind of questions as to whether you know ultimately will the US be able to actually legislate for these changes? It's a very finely balanced uh, legislature, legislature at the moment in the US. So there's a big question there. Um, so I think there's a lot to play out in the debate itself. I think when you come to, to, to volatility. I think, you know, again, arguably, you know, it's not volatile in one way, in the sense it's not going up and down. It's actually just consistently going up. Uh, so maybe that's good volatility. But um, uh, but I suppose the, the, the question here is that it's not that long ago that people were probably saying that the take from a corporation tax perspective as part of the overall pot was actually too low, perhaps at 13%. I think it's probably the growth in it year on year is, is, is maybe the issue. But I think there's two two elements to it. One is, is I think what Eddie talked about, 
climate, which is within that, if you ignore anything that's happening at a, an international tax policy perspective, there's concentration risk with those top 10 taxpayers. And then you have the, the broader debate around what might happen internationally. I think in a way, um, I think the answer to both is probably somewhat simple, uh, similar, which is that our, our ability, obviously, to the extent that we can influence it, um, you know, to retain the, the, those, those top 10 taxpayers and actually to retain other foreign direct investment going forward is fundamentally going to continue to be around our competitiveness. Now, whether that's, and, and look, it, it has never been purely around tax in that regard. Obviously, we, we do need to keep our tax rate competitive, hence why I think the government is, is, is fighting hard, if you like, on that front. But also, I think cost competitive, uh, cost competitiveness, the availability of talent, those are really the two fundamental things that I think longer term will, will really matter as far as our ability to influence whether those top 10, uh, you know, retain their presence in Ireland and to, to actually attract further uh, new investment. Do you think in terms of the OECD talks, if there is a deal at, say, 15%, Ireland can hardly hold out, can it? I, I think there's, you know, I, I think there's a few things there, um, uh, Cliff. I, I think... I think Ireland would want want to be pretty sure uh, that actually, you know, that 15% is it and that, that you don't have any of this kind of vague language about, you know, it might go higher than that. And I think that Ireland would be would be very much watching, you know, what might happen in the US because if the US can't litigate that, it, it, or sorry, legislate for it, it absolutely kind of undermines the potential for this to get off the ground uh, more broadly globally. Eddie, if corporation tax rate does go up, we might lose on one side from the other parts of the OECD reform, but there could be more money for the exchequer there on, on the other side, couldn't there? Sure. Uh, but it, but again, it, it comes down to the behaviour of a few really large firms. That, and I mean, I know uh, there's a lot of work in this area from very good academics in UCD and elsewhere that it tries to assess what the behavioural uh, response might be. But just, just personally looking at this stuff, it, it's really hard for, for us to tell. Uh, when we try to assess what one company might do, it just depends so much on their specific uh, circumstances. And, uh, you know, one large tech company might take a vastly different decision to one large pharma company. Uh, so we, we can't really say you might raise the tax take uh, just for a while. But then if there's a, a change in uh, location decision and they decide to, to move some of their intellectual property to another country uh, back overseas or, or some of their operations, it, it could mean that actually the, there's this big dent further down the line. So just huge uncertainty around it. Final question to both of you. Uh, the budget is uh, only a few weeks away now. Um, what if there was one thing that you'd like to see in the budget, uh, one thing that you'd like Pascal Dunhu, whether it's a measure or or something in terms of future policy. What would be the uh, what would be the one thing you choose? I'll, I'll hit you first, Eddie. I was hoping for more time. <laughs> <laughs> I guess um, there's a lot of things that we kind of look for uh, on, on the budgetary framework side, which is how Ireland does budgeting, right? So uh, when we when we talk about the framework, it's really the basics of getting uh, a good sustainable budget policy uh, in practice in Ireland, like we would see in other countries, like say the Netherlands or New Zealand or that. And there's a few things that you can do. So uh, thankfully, we've introduced what looks like a fairly sensible spending rule now, but it, it needs a bit of refinement. We need to look at what the appropriate growth rate is. We need to put it in, uh, in legislation if it's going to be treated seriously, because we've had rules in the past that have gotten ignored and kind of forgotten about very quickly after they've been introduced. Um, uh, and also, I'd like to see kind of more certainty on where investment is headed. So we're bringing public investment up to 
as I said, 6% national income, which is very high by international standards and Ireland's history as well. But it'd be good to see, is, is there plans to bring that back down uh, late into the decade so that actually the deficit would gradually close and you would start to see debt falling to, you know, at a steady pace down to safer levels? Um, that kind of reassurance would be very useful for, for the council to, to really be able to assess what the, the ultimate path is here and what the strategy is. Do you have any fears? I mean, looking at the promises made in all the party uh, thinkings, I suppose that the Irish political system isn't really at the moment facing up to those kind of decisions and without, without being party political about it, that there isn't a general debate on those issues that it's, you know, it's, it's about where money is going to be spent, where taxes are going to be cut. Yeah, and uh, I guess one of the nice things about COVID that we saw was that the government was finally pursuing a counter-cyclical fiscal policy. So by that we mean it, it wasn't cutting uh, spending and hiking taxes in the midst of a recession when the economy needed support more than ever. Um, and, and that's something that's incredibly rare. So if we look over the last three or four decades, Ireland has really never really managed to do that. Uh, in most recessions, we, we slam the brakes and start to, to cut spending and, and high taxes. Whereas we didn't do it now, and, and that was, you know, thanks in part to the fact that we had huge support from the ECB causing interest rates to stay low, but also that we had brought the, the deficit back to balance uh, and, and there was scope to increase things without leading to a very unsustainable path for death. Um, if, we, if we kind of want to get serious about running counter-fiscal policy uh, and, and responding to crises when, when they're, they're in place... Uh, then we might have to get serious as well about doing the other part of it, which is, you know, not continuing to spend uh, very heavily in good times as well and actually starting to try to, to restore the public finances a bit in those times. Yeah, uh, interesting point. Uh, Kevin, what's your uh, what's your one wish for, for Budget Day? Yeah, I'd, I'd probably take a similar uh, view to, to Eddie, which is that, you know, again, if, if, if you think about it from a business perspective, what businesses really want, um, particularly I think in this scenario, is a bit of predictability and stability. And um, and therefore, I think for, for business, what they would look for is, is less around individual tax measures, but probably more around what is that kind of longer term budget strategy around, you know, either on the revenue raising side, um, on spending and, and absolutely kind of on debt, because I think that's if, if there's good let's say medium term clarity on issues like that then I think business can feel confident to take decisions I think what they'd be anxious to avoid is what what does happen in other countries where you have these because you mentioned earlier Cliff these one-off taxes that happen to stay for for a long time or kind of you know just sudden changes in fiscal policy which again actually Ireland has benefited from over the years because actually Ireland's tax policy has been very stable whereas others you know will promise one minute then withdraw the next so so fundamentally something that kind of sets out a path longer term and that gives business I suppose a bit of predictability around what the future looks like and then kind of staying the course uh, on, on, on that kind of plan over the years ahead. That's great. Thanks to you both, Eddie Casey, Dr. Eddie Casey of the Fiscal Advisory Council and uh, Kevin Blocken of EY. Thank you very much for joining me. Thanks, Liv. Thank you. Okay, that's all we have time for this week. Thanks to my guests, Kevin McLaughlin and Eddie Casey. Today's podcast was produced by Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. I'm Cliff Taylor. Thanks for listening.